Uh, so this morning we're going to continue with our mini-series on the seventh plague, uh, the plague of hail that I uh, titled Crocodile Tears. I know those of you who were here last week, you're probably wondering what's, what does the crocodile tears have to do with the plague? Well, it's good that you came this week because this week that's what we're going to take up. Uh, but before that, let's review uh, what, we take up, what we took up last week. Uh, so again, I began looking at the uh, plague of hail uh, by saying uh, that this plague must be a special plague. Uh, or I said it was a significant plague uh, because this plague had the most verses assigned to it out of all the plagues. If you check, if you read your Bibles, if you read the, the account in Exodus, this plague has the most verses assigned to it. Even more than the 10th plague, uh, which is the plague uh, the, the firstborn uh, died. Um, why was the question uh, that I was trying to tackle last week. So uh, I shared with you a couple of reasons why I thought this plague was significant. Uh, first, uh, the plague of hail was significant because it was the deadliest out of all the plagues. Uh, I would even say deadlier than the 10th and final plague. Uh, secondly, I said that the plague of hail was significant because God gave Pharaoh and the Egyptians multiple warnings. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, I hope you remember that. Uh, God gave the Egyptians multiple warnings before sending this plague. Uh, if you can still remember, during the first two sets of plagues, God always warned Pharaoh before sending the first and second plagues of a set. Right? Each set of plagues contains three plagues. And every, the first two, God gave warnings. Uh, one warning per plague. But this plague uh, is special because God gave two. And this is the first plague of this third set. It's like watching tennis. <laughs> okay. First plague of this third set, God already gave two warnings. First warning was to Pharaoh that a deadly plague was coming. If he does not, let the Israelites go. And second warning was to tell, for Pharaoh to tell his people to take their servants and their livestock to safer shelter so that they won't be killed by the plague of, of hail. Now, as we learned last week, those who feared, those who believed the word of the Lord through Moses lived. Uh, but those who continued to obey Pharaoh died. Both them and their livestock. Um, and again... If we were to go back in our study of Exodus and the plagues, the ultimate reason for and purpose for these plagues is for God to be known by the Egyptians, the Israelites, and even us today. That's what God is trying to reveal through these plagues. He's trying to reveal himself. Uh, but upon looking at the deadly nature of this plague of hail, some people may get the wrong impression about God. Why would a loving God send such a destructive, deadly plague. So last week, we took the majority of our time uh, to look at the message that God was trying to send through this deadly plague. And I said uh, that God was, uh, and is, trying to communicate four things about himself through the plague of hail. And uh, last week, I, I made it easy for you guys to remember by um, calling each of these characteristics of God um, uh, starting with the letter P. They all start with the letter P. Uh, first P that we took up is that God is always present. Uh, that's one of the characteristics that God is teaching us through this plague of Him. God is always present. Second is that God is patient. Right? Uh, 
or promises, okay? Yeah, same thing, switch all them. They're all characteristics of God, okay? <laughs> so, okay, let's go with that. Let's go with promises. God will always fulfill His promises. Number, third, uh, number three, God is always patient. But it doesn't mean that God will not punish. There will come a time where God will punish. So there is these four characteristics that I think that God is trying to communicate to all of us uh, about or during uh, this plague of hail. And, and I said last week as well that these characteristics, uh, within these characteristics, like the dilemma of God to be both just and the justifier. Um, but thank God he was able to fully show that he can be both where? On the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was just and the justifier, right? Uh, on the cross of uh, Christ, God showed his love and justice and mercy and his patience. He also showed the fulfillment of his promises, both when it comes to his justice and his salvation. You saw that last week. This is what God was trying to reveal about himself to Pharaoh and the Egyptians through this plague of hail. So those were the first two significances. So today we're going to take up the third. The third significance of this plague of hail is Pharaoh's response to the plague. How did Pharaoh respond to God's revelation of himself through this plague? Okay. I hope you guys are ready. Let me warn you, this might hurt <laughs> a little bit. Okay, so brace yourself. Put on your mouth guards or something. <laughs> Make sure, because you're going to get smacked in the face with some of this stuff. Okay, let's go. Why is this plague so significant? Number three reason is because of Pharaoh's response to this plague. So after seeing the devastation and death of the plague of hail, the devastation and death that it brought to Egypt being the most deadliest plague, Pharaoh responded by saying this, this time I have sinned. You guys remember that part of the verse? This time I have sinned. Based on what happened next, I believe that this was Pharaoh crying crocodile tears. What does that phrase mean? Crocodile. Have you heard of that phrase? Crocodile tears? Yes. So for those of you who haven't, what does that phrase really mean? Well, according to Wiki and other sources, that phrase, crocodile tears, comes from an old myth that some animals cry while eating their prey. Especially crocodiles. They cry while eating their prey. This phrase is attributed to crocodiles because crocodiles actually shed tears. When they get out of the water, or sometimes in, while eating their prey. Why? Because they're trying to lubricate their eyes. Their eye, you know how crocodiles have two sets of eyelids? One that actually closes their eyes, one that protects their eyes from the water, like uh, goggles. Right? So whenever they get out of water, their eyes dry, are dry. So they actually cry while eating their prey because they need to lubricate and hydrate their eyes after spending some time underwater. Now, this phrase has taken a behavioral meaning throughout the years. According to, again, some sources on the internet, wiki mainly, uh, some may refer to crocodile tears as a sign of false repentance. And it's funny how this was our topic during Sunday school as well. False repentance. A person crying crocodile tears is said to, I quote, 
desire or cause the death of someone, but then publicly laments them. Crocodile tears, a person crying crocodile tears wants to kill you and even does kill you and then goes up into your, in your funeral service and starts crying for you. Oh, I miss so and so. Meanwhile, they're the one who actually ate you up, killed you. This is what the crocodile tears means. Now, before we take a look at how Pharaoh's behavior points to that, to him crying crocodile tears, I just want to remind you of what true biblical repentance means because ultimately this is at the root of our story <laughs> this morning. What does it mean to truly repent? You heard from J.I. Packer that repentance is an about-face command given to soldiers who are marching in a specific direction. So when they hear that command, to repent is to, first of all, hear the command and then turn 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. Begin marching towards the opposite direction. Now, repentance is similar to that. Biblically, the word repentance in the Bible means it's a changing of mind. Changing of mind that enables a change of direction. So instead of walking away from God, repentance is a walking towards God in humility and forgiveness. How? Through the blood of Christ. That results in a changed heart and a changed mind. And this change is then made visible through a changed life. You can tell people, yeah, my heart and mind has changed. But if you're not walking towards the opposite way, has it really changed? This is exactly why Pharaoh's behavior is that of false repentance. From Pharaoh's statements, it seems as if he has changed his mind about not letting the Israelites go, right? But if you've been following the narrative of the story, this is not the first time Pharaoh has done this. He's done it twice already. When? During the plague of the frogs and the plague of flies. He's already said, okay, I will let them go. Remember, don't, don't go far. I'll let them go, right? Just stop this. Stop. Get rid of the flies. Get rid of the frogs. But what happened after the plagues were gone? Pharaoh approached Moses. Or, or sorry, after the plagues were gone, that, that, that it, was, it was done. Um, Pharaoh took his words back, took his promises back, and continued to harden his heart both times. Now this time, after the devastating plague of hail, Pharaoh once again approached Moses. But what is it that makes this repentance after the plague of hail, what makes this special, what makes this significant after the first two that Pharaoh quote-unquote, repented. What's the difference between this repentance after the plague of hail? I want to point out three, to you three things that Pharaoh said after the plague of hail that makes this repentance, his repentance, false. And what makes it special, what separates it from the first two times he repented. Three things. I'm going to make it easy for you to remember by... Uh, you know, stating these or using words that all start with the letter I. Okay? First, 
Pharaoh's repentance is false because it was an indirect repentance. It's false because it was indirect. Second, it is false. The repentance was false because it was incomplete. And third, Pharaoh's repentance was false because it was ineffective. Okay? Indirect, incomplete, ineffective. Let's take them up one at a time. First, Pharaoh's repentance was false because it was an indirect repentance. Can you guys read the verses, uh, Exodus 9, 27 to 28? Pharaoh's repentance was false because it was indirect. I'm going to read you a quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon writes this. In certain instances, the man's hope in prayer is the result of a condemning faith. There is a justifying faith and a condemning faith. What, say you, does faith ever condemn men? Yes. When men have faith enough to know that there is a God who sends judgment upon them, and that nothing can remove those judgments but the hand that sent them. And that prayer moves that hand. If you believe that, but don't fear God, you have a condemning faith. You're just scared because you're facing consequences. Because you're in pain. Because something bad happened to you. So yes, Lord, forgive me. I changed my mind. But listen to this. There are persons who yet never pray themselves, but eagerly cry to friends, entreat the Lord for me. There is a measure of faith which goes to increase a man's con condemnations, since he ought to know that if what he believes is true, then the proper thing is to pray for himself. What did Pharaoh do? Did he say, Lord, please forgive me, I have sinned? No. He goes to Moses and said that, tell your God to get rid of this hail because this time I have seen. Pharaoh had no intention of having a relationship with God himself that even in quote-unquote repentance, he was unable to approach the God of the Israelites. But oddly enough, Pharaoh believed in the power of inter intercessory prayer through Moses. He believed that he could, Moses can pray away the hail. But does not really believe in the God of Moses. In context, Pharaoh still did not fear God. He only feared the things that God could do to him. I say that because of the response of Moses to Pharaoh's request. How did Moses respond to Pharaoh's request? You guys read it again. Read that last part. I know. Moses said, I know. You 
don't yet fear the Lord. Well, yeah, I'll pray to take these things away. But I know you have yet to fear the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. Here's a disclaimer coming at you. Okay? Don't get me wrong. Praying for someone else is a powerful thing. Intercessory prayer is powerful. A mother's prayer for her children, for example, that's a very powerful. If my mom didn't pray for me, I wouldn't be here. Okay? But the difference between that and Pharaoh's plea for Moses is the actual purpose for the prayer. Right? What is the purpose for the prayer as far as Pharaoh is concerned? Pharaoh sent in his prayer request to Moses only for the stopping of this destructive hail. Not for the changing of his heart, not for forgiveness, not for anything like that. Not to know God more. Just to stop the hail. That's the difference. Right? Meanwhile, God's purpose for the storm itself is to get to know him. God sent the storm in order to show Pharaoh and the Egyptians that he is different from their gods, that his power and his might is real compared to their false gods. But that's not what Pharaoh saw. Right. Once again, uh, what Pharaoh did see is that I'm a victim. This is his, he's, he looks at himself and says, I'm the victim. And he saw this opportunity uh, to play again the victim's role in the storm as he pleaded for Moses to ask God to put a stop to the hail. Unfortunately, Moses saw right through Pharaoh's crocodile tears. Moses knew that Pharaoh's words cannot be trusted and that his repentance was false. Reichen comments, there is no repentance without the fear of God. We must recognize that more than anything else, sin is an offense against the holiness of God. Uh, Confession that acknowledges sin without fearing God is a false confession that falls short of true repentance. If you don't fear God, you don't have that reverent fear of God, then your repentance is false because all you fear are the consequences. Again, true repentance is a faith-based changing of the mind to turn from one direction in order to run to God for salvation. This cannot happen in the life of a sinful human being without having a true and reverent fear of God. And like what I said last week, true fear of God always comes with faith and understanding, all of which are gifts from God. There is no fear without faith, believing that God says who He says He is. And there is no right fear of God without understanding who God is through His words and His warnings. Why is Pharaoh's repentance False, number one, because it was indirect. Didn't approach God, approach Moses to approach God for him. Second, why is Pharaoh's repentance false? Because it was incomplete. Uh, read 9.27, just the first part. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have I want us to focus on those first two words. This time. <laughs> really? This time? After six plagues? This is the only time this guy has sinned. This time I have sinned. That statement is obviously false because it is incomplete. 
It is true that Pharaoh has sinned against God, but not just this time. What about the six other times that he hardened his heart and disobeyed God's command to let the Israelites go? What about those? What about the other two times that he went back on his word? What about keeping the Israelites in bondage to slavery by forcing them to make bricks without straw? Remember that? What about that? What about all the baby boys he drowned in the Nile? What about that? Again, Reich in comments, Pharaoh was willing to admit that he had made one or two mistakes, but he failed to recognize the depth of his depravity, the inherent rebellion of his whole nature. Confession that mentions one sin but forgets all the others is a false confession that falls short of true repentance. Don't ask for forgiveness because you sinned this time. The reason you ask for forgiveness is because you realize that you're a sinner. That's why you keep sinning. <laughs> Not just this time. <laughs> right? And listen, I would add to that this. I, I, way, that's why Pharaoh said just this time is because Pharaoh didn't realize the effect or the damage that his sin has caused on others. A person crying crocodile tears is a person who does not realize the effect or the damage that their sin has caused on others. Who died during the plague of hell? Was it Pharaoh? Was he affected? No. It was the people that were in the field that obeyed his word. But a person crying crocodile tears, they don't realize that they're hurting others because of their sins. Pharaoh's hardness of heart caused the death of hundreds of people, and that didn't seem to faze him because all that he really wants is for the storm to stop. And to do that, he's willing to do anything and say anything, even things that he doesn't really mean, in order to get what he really wants. You ever had somebody do that to you? I'm sorry. So forgive me, like right now. Stop crying. I already said I'm sorry. I don't realize that they caused you pain. Or whoever it is that they've offended. That they've caused them pain. Now you're crying crocodile tears. Someone who doesn't really understand the gravity, gravity of their actions will never truly repent of their sins. You don't get it. <laughs> Especially someone who, like Pharaoh, is able to cry crocodile tears. Or in other words, show fake sympathy. If you're able to do that, and make it look like you're sorry, but you're not really sorry, that's a callous individual. Doesn't feel the suffering and pain that their sins have caused. You see that on TV. I watch a lot of crime TV. People going up and speaking to the media. There was this one husband who went up and spoke to the media. Oh, my wife was murdered. Guess who killed the wife? Him. Or that happened in Markham. The 
the Vietnamese girl who had her parents killed? You ever heard her story? Years ago. He op she opened the door because she was seeing this guy who was a drug dealer and her parents didn't agree. So she told her boyfriend, hire some of your goons, come to my house and kill my parents. They went into her house, shot the mother in the head, shot the father in the face, and she called 911. My parents have been murdered. When the police in the, uh, interviewed her, they have a tape of the interview. Same thing. <laughs> My parents have been murdered. Meanwhile, it was her all along. How did uh, the police find out? Because the dad didn't die. The dad survived and told what happened. The dad heard everything, their conversations about payment, her calling the police, even though he was shot in the face, survived. That's how they found out. Crocodile tears. Recently, there was a pastor in Indiana who confessed his sins of adultery in front of the congregation. Have you heard of that? Yes. He went up, the, up in the congregation and said, I have sinned. I've committed adultery 20 years ago. And I have sinned. So please forgive me. The congregation stood up and started cheering for him. Now the woman who he committed adultery with was in the crowd. And she came up. And she said, what he say, said is false. Why? He didn't just commit adultery. He did it when I was 16 years old. And he kept doing it for more than Seven years. And all the pastor said was what? I committed adultery. Please forgive me. Incomplete. <laughs> Incomplete repentance is not true repentance. Moses saw right through Pharaoh's act and judged Pharaoh rightly. But listen. You can probably fool me or anybody else that you're trying to fool. If this is you, okay, I'm not saying this is you, but if it is you, you know, I can tell because you keep twitching, shifting on your seat. <laughs> if this is you, you can probably fool other people, but you're not going to fool God. Uh, nobody's shifting on their seats anymore. If you're looking down, it's you. No. <laughs> You can fool other people, but you can't fool God. Because God doesn't just see external. He sees right through a person's heart. Check out Matthew 15, 18 to 19. You guys read it again. Think you can hide it in your heart? You think your character is going to um, be shielded by your reputation? No. It's going to come out. You can't hide it. Plus, God can see it. So really, there's no hiding. 
Pharaoh's false repentance comes from a corrupt heart. A heart with no fear of God and no faith in God. This is why Pharaoh only confessed his sins this time. And not the ongoing sin of idolatry and disobedience he has been doing and is continuing to do. First sign of false repentance, indirect. Second sign of false repentance, incomplete. It's messed up this time. Third sign of false repentance said it's ineffective. Again, Exodus 9, 34 to 35, I'm going to read it. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, it's done, it's over. He sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants. 35. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Once the trouble was over, I'll continue marching to where I was going. What is that? Slavery of the Israelites, disobedience to God, idolatry. Didn't change his mind. False repentance. As soon as the thunder and hail stopped, Pharaoh sinned yet again, hardened his heart, and his, he and his servants Two things I want us to notice about this verse. First, Pharaoh's actions reflect the judgment of Moses. It's true. Why? Because he actually acted it out. When Moses called him out, he actually acted it out. And second, those who follow Pharaoh also had the heart of Pharaoh. Not because they didn't, quote-unquote, sin against God, that they weren't sinning at all. When you follow somebody, when you listen to somebody who's doing that, and you follow them, you're in sin too. Your repentance is false too. Hmm. True repentance is not just a proclamation. It is an action. You don't just say it. You do it. Again, repentance is a changing of mind and heart to do an about face from running away from God to running to God for salvation. This means that instead of a person whose back is turned to God, a repentant believer will now turn their back on the world. This act means that a truly repentant individual will leave everything behind once they have truly repented. I don't care what you have to leave behind. It, some of us, it could be our families. It could be your wife, <laughs> children. What did Jesus say? Cost of discipleship. Want to follow me? Hate your mother. Hate your father. Hate. How do you do that? You really actually leave them behind? No, it just means you turn and follow God and you bring them with you. In the end, right? That's, that's our call as believers, right? But when it comes to true repentance, that's what you do. If you're able to go back and forth between church, Christian, and outside world, and be comfortable in both, I don't know. What did Jesus say in uh, Revelation? I would rather have you hot or cold. Just don't be lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I will... Yeah, stay, stay where you're at. 
You're just making your life hard. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. If you're uncomfortable at church, you don't like all this Christian stuff, don't. I'm just saying, if that's you and all that stuff that you said before, I'm a Christian, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's false. And you can see it now. There's a lot of influencers, YouTubers, that have turned their back on Christianity. Ren and Link. Have you seen Rhett and Link? You ever heard of Rhett and Link? No. Marty Sampson used to sing for Hillsong. Who else? Josh McDowell. All those people turned their back to God. They said that this Christianity is not for me. John Piper's own son, Abraham Piper. Your God is no. Your God is cruel. He sends people to hell. Even, even human beings can't do that. That's what he said. But your God, that's what he does? I, I don't believe in that, in that God. There are people who have said and have led people to repentance. They themselves have false repentance. Why? Because of their actions today. That's why it's so important for Christians to continue growing. In the faith, don't just say, oh, you know, this is what I hear every time, right? Back then, oh, we were active. We were knocking on doors. And, oh, in the Philippines? Oh, I was red hot in the Philippines. And then they get here. What happened? Oh, you know, it's so busy here. Plus, I have to, I have to you know, get my family started. I need to work and I need to. Really, that's where you're going to base your Faith on yourself and your work and your money? <laughs> no. I hate people would talk about the, their past like it's that, that's it, like, like they've graduated. No, we don't. <laughs> we continue to grow. We continue to learn more and more about God. That's how we gain wisdom, right? Proverbs, those, those of you who are attending Sunday school. But if you stop at a certain point and just refer back to that and say, yeah, that used to be me, then no. Now I just, whatever, I do whatever I want because I've already done what I needed to do. I've said yes when they asked me if I believed in Jesus. <laughs> I was baptized. I, I believe in God. I proclaimed that a long time ago. Meanwhile, you're living a life as if you don't even know who God is today. What is that? <laughs> as soon as the thunder and hail stopped, Pharaoh sinned yet again. And again, I've seen this over prayer meetings. You see it in prayer meetings a long time ago. People come to prayer meeting, I need a job, Pastor, pray for me. They come to every prayer meeting. Once they get the job, See, I don't need it anymore. My troubles are over. To repentance is not just a proclamation, it is an action. It's a changing of mind and heart to do an about face from where you're going to God. So, the question I want to ask you is this Does this mean, if that's true repentance, 
Does this mean that a person who repents will not commit any more sins? That's it. You're perfect. You live a life that's perfect, free of sin. Is that true? Why else would 1 John 1, 9 be there? Right? No. The evidence of true repentance is a continuous confession of sins to God for forgiveness, mercy, and grace to change and grow towards becoming more and more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does true repentance look like? Right? So if you're walking this way, true repentance is what? Turning 180. What's 180? Like this? Some people are like that, right? I repented, and I repented again. Oh, <laughs> you're back to where? It's 180. But what? What, a, what about if you continue sinning? What does that look like? If I'm going this way now, and I continue to sin, does that mean like this? And then you're like that? You keep accepting Christ every time you sin. Okay, Lord Jesus, I accept you again. Is that what that means? What, is it, what does it look like? So if you're going this way now, you used to go that way. You go like, sometimes you go like this. And then you, oh, oh no, no, wrong. Confess. Oh, Jesus. Confess again. Oh, Jesus. That's the difference between repentance and confession. Confession is an agreeing with God that you messed up. And you can only confess if you agree with God. <laughs> if you don't agree with God, then it's not a confession. Right? If somebody, if you, if you committed, uh, if you offended somebody and you told them, all right, fine, I'm sorry because you said so. It's not true confession. <laughs> you don't really agree, but you say you're sorry. We used to do that. We used to play that game. All right, just shut up. I just, I'm sorry already, but I don't really agree with you. Is that true confession? No. So confession can only happen if you agree with God. And that means you're going the right way. Yes, you're going to go zigzag. Some of us zig and zag <laughs> so far. <laughs> but is able to come back. Why? Because God said if you believe in me, if you call on the name of my son, you will be saved. You're going to keep coming back. But if you don't come back, if you keep going that way, or some turn back to where they, right? I've heard people going back to the Catholic Church after being with us for years. What is that? <laughs> is that zigzagging? Maybe. We can't judge that. But if you already know, you've already been enlightened, you already been, right? Hebrews 6. You won't, you're not going to do that. You already know. And that's what the Proverbs call what? Fools. Is if you know what's right, and you know what's wrong, but you keep doing what's wrong. So does that, does repentance mean that a person will not sin anymore, no. Evidence of true repentance is a continuous confession. In other words, the evidence of true repentance is growth. The person who truly repented of their sins will continue to grow, meaning that they will learn from their mistakes and will fight against sin all their lives through the help of the Holy Spirit. Someone who cries crocodile tears is unable to do that. Because you fool yourself so much that you're really sorry for your sins. You don't know what's real and what's not anymore. 
someone once said that an apology without change is just manipulation. Can you guys read that again? An apology without change is manipulation. In Tagalog, nanguuto ka lang. If you're not going to change, you just keep saying sorry. That's all you're doing. You're just manipulating so that you can get yourself out of trouble. Stop saying you're sorry if you're not really sorry. The reality is that you're not fooling anybody because in the end, you're going to end up doing the same thing again. And you keep doing it over and over again. You keep saying, all right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, there's no change. All you're doing is manipulating the other person. And again, let me clarify by saying that the change that comes with true repentance is not instantaneous. It may take time for the change to be seen, but the point is there will be change. Sadly, many people say sorry too quickly, especially here in Canada. You don't even do anything wrong. You keep saying, I'm sorry. Right? When you don't hear somebody, oh, sorry. Why are you sorry? <laughs> when you didn't understand what they say, sorry, can you say that again? Why? It, it, takes the, it takes the value out of sorry. Like you can just pull it out because it's an ending. Uh, you have an ending sorries. There's no more value to it because you keep saying it. <laughs> keep saying sorry. You're not even sorry. Now, for a lot of people, it's not a joke. Because for a lot of people, they're so used to saying sorry because they, they're so used to doing the same thing over and over again. It doesn't mean anything anymore. That's why Moses, when, when he heard Pharaoh say that, right? This time I have sinned. Yeah, right. You and your people still do not fear God. I know you. So true repentance comes with growth. Now that's vague, right? It's general. What does that mean? What does that look like? I'm going to share with you eight signs of true repentance. This is where the bombs are coming, okay? Eight signs of true repentance. Because a lot of people keep saying sorry, but they're not really changing. Eight signs of true repentance. Number one, the repentant person is appalled by sin. A repentant person is appalled by sin. They're horrified by what they've done. They will humble themselves, grieve the pain they've caused. To do that, you need to feel the pain that you've caused. If you don't, you're not going to truly repent. Grieve the pain that they've caused and be cut to the heart in their conviction. Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. He knows who he is and what he's done. Sign of true repentance, number one, a repentant person is appalled by sin. Number two, a repentant person makes amends. In Luke 19, 1 to 10, we read the story of Zacchaeus and the generosity he demonstrated as part of his repentance. Who was Zacchaeus? It's a tax collector and thief oppressor of God's people. Zacchaeus made amends. He said in verse uh, 8, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You make 
amends. If you truly repent, if you're truly sorry, you make amends. For those people who just say, okay, I'm sorry, please forgive. But don't make amends. Do you really feel how, how much you've hurt that person? Okay, this is coming from an article in TGC from a woman who was abused by her father. And her father every time kept saying, not sexual, but physical abuse. Threw her down the stairs, beat her, punched her. Every time dad would do that, afterwards he would come, I'm sorry, it will never happen again. And then it happened again, and again, and again, and again. For years, no true repentance. No making amends. Third, a truly repentant person will accept consequences. <laughs> it's the hard part. Because when the consequences come, you're like, hey, you know what, forget it. A genuinely repentant person will accept consequences. These may include losing the trust of others, relinquishing a position of authority, or submitting to worldly authorities such as law enforcement. You will accept the consequences if you're truly repentant. Because you know, uh, we studied this in Proverbs, right? Whether you do good or bad, there's always consequence. There's always a result on what you do. Truly a repentant person will do that, will accept the consequences. Truly repentant person number four, don't expect or demand forgiveness. <laughs> Some people think that sorry is like this magic word. I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive. Sometimes you won't be because of what you've done. And sometimes you'd have to say sorry for the rest of your life because of what you've done. But that's what you got to do in order to make amends. Right? Often I've been told by, this is from the article, <clears throat> Often I've been told by my abuser, if you don't forgive me, God won't forgive you. Well, it says that in the Bible, right? If you don't forgive your brother, right? He will answer your prayers. Unrepentant people will use that and say, you better forgive me. Otherwise, that's you. you're not going to be forgiven, so you better. <laughs> right? It says, and again in the article, um, if you don't forgive me, God won't forgive you. But this threatening posture indicates insincere repentance. It's unloving, manipulative, and implies the offender doesn't accept or comprehend the gravity of what they've done. Some people just don't get it. They play victim. They're the ones who did the offense. But they're the victim. <laughs> Have you, do you know anybody like that? Siya na yung nanakit. Siya pa yung kawawa. You yelled at me. You're, oh. I gotta chill out. Because these people just make my blood, my ears are hot. Right? Those people, you know people like that? They always play the victim. Like, no. You repent until you're forgiven. 
Five, they feel the depth of the pain they've caused. Again, people like that are callous. They don't know how it feels to be offended, to be hurt. That's why they don't truly repent. They, listen to this. A repentant person won't try to minimize, downplay, or excuse what they've done. They won't point to all their good works as if those actions somehow outweigh or cancel out the bad. <laughs> There's some people like that. It's my fault. You know, but I only did it because... Really? Just say sorry. Just, uh, just apologize. And accept the consequences. Six. A truly repentant person will... Change their behavior. Truly repent, per, not them per se, okay? You got to read between the lines here. Obviously, the reason why some people are like that because they can't change. So how are they going to change their behavior? Has to start from the inside out. If you're truly repentant, it'll start from the inside out. If you don't like what you're doing, you're never going to do it. And that's the thing with Christianity. Your likes, whatever you like, changes. Right? When that changes, then you're able to do the things that normally you wouldn't want to do, like ask for forgiveness. Why? Because that's, that's how God works. He changes from the inside out. The outer part is the fruit of what's happening inside. If there's nothing in there, there's no fruit. A truly repentant person will realize they need God to sanctify their heart. They'll proactively work to change their behavior and take steps to avoid sin and temptation. Like me, I've repented of not eating vegetables. I was at one of our members' homes yesterday, and they have all this meat lying around. And I'm, I say... I've repented of my ways. <laughs> I will eat vegetables. <laughs> and it was and, and it's good. And the only way that came about is because when I went on diet, I was so hungry. I will eat anything. Sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes we have to humble ourselves in front of God, that position of humility, and like I can't do anything, Lord. When that happens, whatever he tells you to do, you will do. But until you do that, you're going to want to do what you want to do. Which in my case, ended me having gout, uh, gastro, whatever they call it, uh, acid. Huh? What else? Overweight. <laughs> that's what I wanted. And God said, you want that? Okay, go ahead. See where it gets you. But when you start listening, when you start humbling yourself, when you start doing that, change from the inside in, by God's grace, your behavior will change too. Seven. Can you guys read the seven? Yeah, I'm, notice that we're not reading the verses. Take a picture. Read it on your own time. I only have... Eight more minutes. Okay? They grant 
space to heal. The fruit of the Spirit includes patience, kindness, grace, and self-control. A truly repentant person will demonstrate these consistently. They won't feel entitled to trust or acceptance. Let's say that. Let me read that again. Truly repentant people won't feel entitled to trust or acceptance. Rather, they'd, hum they'd be humble, unassuming, and willing to sacrifice their own wants and needs for the benefit of the injured party. They won't pressure us to hurry up and get over it or move on. <laughs> Some people are like that. Right? It's like what I said earlier. I'm sorry. Okay. Forgive me right now. Right? Yeah, right. Those of you who are married, I don't know. It can't just be me and my wife. I know you guys have went through it too. So, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's like that. Come on, I already said sorry. What are you still crying for? Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Do you really understand what you've caused that person for that person to be crying? I, get, I, I don't think so. If you're going to do that, then you're not truly repentant. Grant space to heal. It took me years to learn that. Ask my wife. Grant space to heal. And lastly, this one is the most, uh, I think, important. They're awestruck by forgiveness. Now, some people get tired of hearing sorry. Well, some people, they get forgiven all the time. And it doesn't mean anything to them anymore. Oh, they're going to forgive anyway. So if you're not like thankful, awestruck by the forgiveness that the offended party has given you, you'll be numb to it. So when they say, I forgive you, and you're not awestruck by it, you'll just say, okay, good. I got away again. Next time, I'll just say the magic words again. Because there will be a next time. If you're not awestruck by forgiveness. And that's just, that just doesn't apply to uh, people, person to person, uh, repentance. If you're not awestruck by the forgiveness of God through Christ, then you won't take repentance seriously. Because to you it's, yeah, okay, whatever, I got it. That's what sometimes, that's, I think, what's wrong with kids here in North America. Because they're given everything they want. They don't value it anymore. Oh, uh, yeah, iPad, I got five of those. iPhone, I'll get a new one next year. Uh, they don't value food. They don't value clothing. They don't value shelter. Why? Because they get it so easily. So if you're the one who got offended... And you're so nice that you just say, okay, I'm sorry. Guess what? Nothing's going to change. <laughs> Why? Because the person that you're doing that to is not awestruck by your forgiveness anymore. It's not valuable anymore. And the person who's asking for forgiveness, if you keep hearing that, what's the message? Oh, okay. So all I need to do is say, sorry. 
a person feels entitled to forgiveness, they don't value it. If you feel that they have to do it, that people have to forgive you, you don't value it. When Jacob received Esau's forgiveness, he was so astounded, he wept. To see your face is like seeing the face of God, for you have received me favorably. If you realize that about your forgiveness in Christ, first of all, you will forgive, and you will value forgiveness. Once again, true repentance is not just proclamation. It is an action. There is no true repentance without true change. We just can't keep saying sorry and not mean it. We cannot keep crying crocodile tears. Let me close with Proverbs 28, 13. Read it. You guys read it out loud. Whoever conceals his transgression. Why would you hide it if you knew that it was there? If you know you made a mistake, show it. Bring it out. You'll never be free until you do. <laughs> You'll always have like this chain, ball and chain on you until you ask for forgiveness and have been forgiven for whatever that transgression is. You'll never move forward. You'll never grow. That's why it says there, but whoever confesses, not just confess, forsake, will obtain. Amen? Ultimately, a true and lasting repentance can only come by the grace of God. So may God, may God grant us true repentance and continue to work in our lives through the Holy Spirit to help us continue to grow into spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious, gracious.